going to show you uh, a picture this morning. I don't know if you saw this in the news. I actually found this um, in the Taipei, China news. I don't know if any of you else turn, tune into that, but you, can you see what this picture is? That's a, a child with a kite tail wrapped around her neck. There was a three-year-old girl last Sunday, August 30th, who was accidentally ripped off the ground into the air by a large kite at the Shinsu City International Kite Festival. Thankfully, she only suffered some abrasions to her face and her neck. A video of the incident shows that the young girl, who weighs only 28 pounds, she got part of the fabric of the tail of the kite tangled around her neck, and it drug her off the ground and into the air for 30 seconds before the kite was lowered to the ground and she was caught by people who were on the ground. Uh, the girl was immediately rushed to the hospital with her mother, where thankfully she suffered uh, no broken bones, just the abrasions to her face and neck. And according to the government officials, um, somehow um, the, the kite got close to her, and the winds were 38 miles an hour that day, and she got taken for this 30-second scary, frightful ride. And as I was looking at that story, I thought that this little girl's ride on this kite sort of symbolizes many people's experience with money. Because with money and finances, there's ups, there's downs, there's unexpected turns, and there's twists. You could be going along just enjoying life, looking at the kites, when all of a sudden you get caught with an unexpected bill with maybe somebody getting sick and having to be hospitalized, maybe your car breaks down, and all of a sudden you get jerked off the ground into the air and life goes into a spin, just out of nowhere. Maybe you incur some debt, and you know how debt works, this compound interest working in the wrong direction, and that little bit of debt be can become a big amount of debt. You get dragged off the ground and you become fearful, you become depressed, overcome with dread, as I'm sure this little girl and her family were, and you don't know when it's going to be over. When's this ride going to stop? When am I going to land safely? Maybe you feel that there's no way out when it comes to money sometimes. Jesus talked about money, and I don't can't verify this, but I've heard that he talked about money more than he talked about hell, and I haven't counted both of those, but I've heard that. And God's Word addresses how to handle money, how to make money, give money, save money, how to deal with debt and avoid debt. Today, we're going to start a, uh, a series on money today and then the next three weeks, looking at this issue from God's Word. And today, specifically, we're going to look at whose money is it, who does it really belong to, and also... How do we get it? Now, when we ask the question, how do I get it, it's not with a greedy, self-indulgent motive that we're asking that question. How can I get it so I can indulge myself more? But rather, we're going to recognize that, honestly, we all need money. We all have bills. We all need to eat. We all need it to survive uh, and buy the things that, that we need. 
and also not just need it for ourselves, which we do, but we also can uh, ask, how can I get more so that I can give more, so that I can be generous? Uh, I went to Bible college for four years. First two years, I lived in a dorm. Uh, last two years, I lived in an apartment. Those first two years, I roomed with a guy named Scott. Those last two years, Scott and I roomed with three other guys. All of them are lifelong friends of mine to this day. Near graduation, I remember Scott saying in 1989, you know what? I hope that and I think that the most mature Christians and followers of Christ should all have the most money. And I said, that's interesting. What do you mean by that? The most mature Christians should all have the most money. He said, well, if you're mature in Christ and following Christ, you're going to do what Christ wants with the money that he gives you. So the guys who are most mature, I want them to have the most so that they can give the most, so they can be the most generous. And that guy, Scott, my former roommate, lifelong friends, uh, God has entrusted him, and he has given that money away because he's a mature follower of Jesus. So when we ask the question, whose is it, and how do we get more, the idea is, how can I be mature as a follower of Christ so that I can spend it and give it the way that he wants me to, not that self-indulgent. So we're going to look today at a parable that Jesus told in Matthew 25, verses 14 through 21. Uh, the context here, the context is uh, this is about 24 hours before Jesus is nailed to the cross. Just before Good Friday, this is Thursday. So this is Thursday morning. In John chapter 24, he just got done teaching his disciples about the end times, the last days on earth. What's it going to be like? And it's in, John, in Matthew 24. Uh, and if you want to read that, you can see there's a lot of things in Matthew 24 that are really parallel to the times that we live in now. Then he goes on from Matthew 24 to Matthew 25 to talk about uh, the final judgment after the last days on earth. What's it going to be like? Now, parables, this teaching model of Jesus, a parable has one main point to it. And sometimes there's a secondary point. The main point of this parable is that God gives generously and then God also rewards generously in heaven when we faithfully use what he gives generously. So he gives us generally, generously on earth, and if we use it faithfully, he generously rewards us in heaven. That's the primary purpose here. But there's also a secondary purpose to this passage. And the secondary purpose here tells us who's the, who, whose money it is, who's the owner, and also tells us how do we get it. That's the secondary purpose here. Let's read and let's discover these answers. Jesus said in verse 14, again, it will be like, what's he talking about? What's the it? The it is the kingdom, the kingdom of God. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants. Now, who's he talking about here? He's talking about himself. He's going on a journey. In 24 hours, he's going to be nailed to the cross. Uh, four days from that time, he's going to rise from the dead. 44 days from that time, he's going to ascend into heaven. He's going on a journey. He's talking about himself. It'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants. That's them, his disciples, who he's teaching that day. He called his servants and entrusted his...
entrusted his property to them. It's answering our questions here. Whose is it? To one, he gave five talents of money. To another, two talents of money. And to another, one talent of money, each according to his ability. And God's the one who gives us our abilities. Then he went out on his journey. Verse 16, the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work. Okay, wait a minute. Whose money was it? Well, there's like a dual ownership here. It's the master's money who's going away, but once he's given it, it's also at the same time that servant's money. There's a dual ownership here. Gave him his money and put it to work and gained five more talents, five more pieces of money. So also the one who had the two talents gained two more, but the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. We're seeing the ownership of it. Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants returns, talking about the end of days, when Christ returns, and settled accounts with them. It's time for giving rewards in heaven. The man who had received the five talents returned the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. And he's talking about the kingdom in eternity here. Come and share in your master's happiness. We're going to stop there and remind us that the context here is Jesus is specifically referring to rewards in heaven for faithfulness on earth with what he's entrusted to us. In Luke chapter 16, and we looked at Luke chapter 16 a couple months ago when we talked about judgment, and we saw there the same idea that we are to use the resources entrusted to us now to benefit ourselves later in heaven. Use earthly riches to gain heavenly rewards. But this parable, and in Luke 16, also point to this fundamental, foundational, theological reality about money. We're going to look at some of those today in the first one. And most important, in my opinion, is the answer to that first question, whose is it? And the answer is, and it's simple, we saw it in there, that God is the owner of all things. Now, that sounds simple, right? But we need to know that this is a theological pillar to every area of life. God is the author and the owner. He's the sovereign creator of all things. The person who made it is the owner of it. The entire universe was made by God, and it belongs to God. It is his. I have a really good friend named Doug, and it was 20, 25 years ago that he started a church in a little town called Post Falls, Idaho. It's it's just a maybe 20-minute drive from Spokane, Washington. And when they started this church, they had to decide, what are we going to name this church? What should the name be? And Doug said, whose church is it? It's his. Let's call the church his place. Wherever we meet, it's his place. He owns it. He owns his church. Let's call it, and that's the name of the church, his place, because he is the owner. Verse 14 says that the master called his servants and entrusted his property to them. 
It's his property. He's the owner. He's the master. He's the, mo- the owner, the master of all things. So what you have in your possession, you have temporarily. But God has permanent ownership of all those things. What you have is yours temporarily. Stacy and I drove to Pennsylvania yesterday for a funeral. Uh, one of the godliest men that I've ever known in my entire life passed away. He was a, a pastor one of the best preachers of the word that I've ever known. He had in his library, uh, they'd said that they thinned his library down to 4,000 books that he has read. All those books that he has read, now that he has passed to heaven, they're not his. He had temporary ownership of them, permanent ownership of everything, is God's, is Jesus. This theological reality was referenced to further in, uh, in Psalm chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, which says, and maybe you've heard this before, the earth is the Lord's. And not just this earth, this planet, but the solar system that this planet is in, that's the Lord's. The, the galaxy, our galaxy, the Milky Way, that's the Lord's. The entire universe, that's the Lord's. He made these things. He's the owner of all these things. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. He made it. He created it. He founded it. It's all his. Everything. Everything on planet earth belongs to God. He is the owner. Anything that you have in your possession, it's all his. And that includes our money. It's his. Psalm 50, verses 9 through 11. Context here is people were kind of feeling proud. Hey, God, I'm coming to you with a sacrifice. I'm bringing a bull. I'm bringing a goat. I'm bringing a sheep to you. I'm making this great sacrifice, giving this thing to you. And God's like, you're not giving this to me. I first gave it to you. He said, you know, I've got no need of a bull from your stall or a goat from your pen. Why? Because every animal in the forest, it's mine. It's mine already. And the cattle on a thousand hills, well, that's mine too. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field. They're mine. God is the owner of all these things. It's all his. The bulls, the cows, the goats, the creatures of the forest, creatures of the field, and not just the creatures, but the forests and the fields and all those things, the mountains and the seas, they are all his. The 10 acres that Stacy and I live on, and they're in our name, they're really his. Your house, my house, your car, my car, the clothes we wear, your bank account, it's his. He's the owner of all these things. And what does this mean for us today? Three things. First of all, it means we should thank him. Thank him for what he has given to you. And as a way of showing thanks to him, we give back to him. We've got that offering box in the back. And I want to say thank you to everybody who supports this ministry. All of our bills are met. We've got some surplus. God takes care of us by your giving. And when you give to him, It's not out of obligation or duty. We want it to be out of thanks. Maybe you've noticed we don't pass an offering plate around. I don't know about you, but when that plate comes by, I kind of feel like compelled. 
I got to put something in. Somebody's watching. They're going to notice if I don't put something in. Has anybody ever else, anybody else ever felt that way? We don't do that because we don't want anybody to give out a compulsion, but out of thankfulness. So when I drop a check in there or make an online donation to the church, I'm just saying, thank you, God. You've given me my job. You've given me my ability to do that job. You've given me my paycheck. I'm just saying thank you. And this is my thank you gift back to you. That's our motive. So what? because he's the owner, we can thank him. Second thing, we can trust him. And we can rest in him. We don't have to worry because it's all his, and he will and he does provide. Now, if I spend foolishly and I'm wasteful with money, I should worry. If I rack up big debt, you know, foolishly and needlessly, I should worry. But if I'm handling God's money wisely and trying to do the right things and live within my means and stuff, I can rest because I can trust him because it's his and he gives good gifts to his children. So we can thank him, we can trust him. And this also means we ask him. We ask him, how do you want me to spend your money because it's all yours? And we also ask him, hey, would you give me some more because I have this need right now? Uh, Matthew 6, 11, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, said, tell the Father, give us this day our daily bread. It's asking the Father. So we ask him, what do you want us to do? And we also ask him, will you meet this need and please provide? So we thank him, we trust him, and we ask him. Very important in dealing with money, that we right off the bat establish that everything belongs to God. He is the owner. It's his. And any money that I may possess in my pocket, in my bank account, it's really God's. He's the owner. You and I, we are what is called stewards. We are stewards of it. He has entrusted it to us. It's his. And the steward does what the master wants him to do. That's our second most important thing. We're entrusted with God's money. How do we get it? It comes from him. He's entrusted it to us himself. Verse 14 said he called his servants and he entrusted his property. It's his. He entrusted us. So whatever wealth and possessions you have, even whatever gifts and abilities you have, whatever talents you have, He's given you those gifts too, those abilities. You can develop them and become stronger in them, but he's given them to you. All of that has been given to you, been entrusted to you by God himself, the owner of all those things. Now, this word entrusted implies that he is not just giving it over to you to do with as you will, whatever you want, but rather you're supposed to do with it what he wants you. In fact, this word for, for uh, entrusted is paradidomai, which means literally to grant. There's a difference between being granted something and being given something. There's a difference there. Uh, back, you're not going to believe this, back 20, 30 years ago, I was actually pretty good at, at playing basketball when I was younger. And you know what happens to the body, right, Rich? The body break. You just can't do stuff anymore. And um, I played in several different leagues, and our teams won some championships and things. And this guy from my church liked to come and watch our basketball games. So one day he asked me, hey, how many points do you normally score in a game? 
I'm like, well, you know, three or four points. And he's like, no, no, how come on? And so my brother was there, and he played with me. He said, well, Joel, he scores this amount of points. And I said, well, you know, I, I guess so, usually. And he said, well, if you score this amount of points this Saturday, I've got a special prize for you. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. Well, he came to that game, and I scored two points less than that amount of points in that game. So the next day in church, he said, well, how many points did you score? I said, well, I scored this amount. It's less than what you said. He said, he goes, hey, I've got a consolation prize for you. He shakes my hand and walks away, and I open up my hand. There's $500 in my hand for failing and scoring less than he wanted me to. That was a gift. He gave me that gift. It was given to me. He did not monitor what I did with that money. He didn't ask me later what I did with that money. It was given to me to use for whatever I want. That is a gift. This word entrusted does not mean gift. This means it, it's granted to you. About 20 years ago, the church that I was a part of uh, was outgrowing its building. The, the, the worship center would seat 140 people. We had 140 chairs, but we had about 270 people who were part of that church. So we had two services. It was packed. So we were looking for land to build on. So we ended up, we bought seven acres of land, and that land had a house on it. So we renovated that house and made it into a student ministry center. Jay Wall, you would have loved this place. We rent it. We took us two years tearing things apart, rebuilding. And there was a foundation in our county that was uh, favorable towards churches. So I submitted a grant proposal. And I asked for $25,000. And what I had to do with this grant proposal was specify these are the items that I want to spend this money on. This is what each of those items cost. We wanted to get carpet for the place. We wanted a pool table, ping pong table. wanted to make a cafe with a cappuccino hot chocolate machine, a couple video projectors. We had a pinball machine. We had, I put my office in there. We had uh, just couches and different things came out to be a really nice, really nice student ministry center. They, uh, uh, the people that we applied for the grant for, about six months into the project, they came out and did an inspection. They had a list of all the different things that we asked for money for, and they were checking them off, making sure that we spent the money that they granted us for the things that we had asked them to, to grant that money for. Being granted something is different than being given something. Being granted something is for specific purposes. And when God grants us and entrusts us with his money and resources, he's got specific purposes in mind. Some of those are to provide for our needs, rent, mortgage, food, clothing, uh, automobiles, fuel, those things. Also, it's okay to have TV. It's okay to have, in fact, we need Internet and different things. But he grants us things for specific purposes, not so that we can just go spend on whatever we want to spend on for our own self-indulgence. In Matthew 25, Jesus was giving his disciples a heads up. He was telling them, hey, a day from now, I'm going to die. Four days from now, I'm going to rise. Forty-four days from now, I'm going to ascend. And I'm going to be gone. The master's going away. And the master's entrusting his servants with specific things. And he was telling them, I'm entrusting you with the church, with uh, taking on this mission of making disciples. And God has entrusted 
to pastors and elders, this idea of managing and leading the church, Freedom Bible Church, all his churches, the way that he wants us to. He's granted us and entrusted that to us. What does all this mean? It means, first of all, when I don't handle money very well, when I don't treat it as a grant, when I spend it unwisely, I need to learn from that and adjust to that and change my habits. There's a great word in the Bible. It's called repent. It means to turn around. So if you've spent money unwisely, learn from that. If you've spent it as it's a gift given to me, rather than it's a grant entrusted to me, you can turn around from that. When I was just out of college, before Stacy and I were married, I remember I was living in this little apartment, and some dude came and knocked on the door. He was signing people up to give contributions to different foundations. And I'm like, uh, I guess that's a good idea. Here, I'll write you a check for $25. And later on, after I read what they stood for, this foundation stood for things that I didn't believe in. That was a stupid thing. That was a foolish thing on my part. So I repented, and I'll never do that again. Just give money blindly to a cause. Uh, you're going to, young people, with pe- you, you're going to need life insurance someday. Our first life insurance, some guy came to our door, and it's what they call whole life life insurance, where you put money in and it sort of accumulates, uh, but that's not the wisest way to do it. Term life insurance is the way to do it. It's a better use of the money. Uh, We did that for several months, and then we finally learned that was foolish. That wasn't the right way to go. I learned from that. Our first television was a 13-inch, was it color or was it black and white? I can't even remember. Color, was it? It was color. 13 inches, man. You, you probably spent more in my eye doctor exams trying to watch that thing than we paid. It was a Samsung. And you might think, hey, you made a good buy. No, not 31 years ago. Samsung was the worst then. They're the best now. And what we learned was, man, you could spend twice as much for a television or an electronic appliance. And you might say, well, that's a waste of money. But if it lasts three times longer, that's a good use of money. Spend twice as much to make something last three times longer. We made these mistakes and learned from these mistakes. When you ask, when you don't ask God what to do with his money, you make mistakes that way. Ask older, wiser people who are handling God's resources well. Ask them for advice. Ask them to coach you. One of the best things, we just started reading some books by godly authors about money and debt and those things. A couple weeks ago was our 30th anniversary. Uh, on day one, we got married. Day two, we flew to Florida for our honeymoon. We had some. T- we bought tickets for Disney. Get this. I don't know what they cost now. We bought a five-pack of Disney tickets for $125 each, 25 bones a day to Disney. And those tickets were good forever. We should have bought like 50 tickets. We went to Disney just a couple days while we were there. We went to Universal, did some other things. And then uh, a couple years later, two years later, we went back to Florida. And we had all these Disney tickets to use. So when we went back there, we bought this uh, from a tour agency. It totaled $600 for our rental car, for our hotel, and for our flight. And then we had the Disney tickets. We had, when we paid for that $600, we used our credit card we got our bill in the mail, we said, oh, you know what? Even though we have $600, let's just pay half of that thing. 
the next bill, it's like, oh, you know what? The rest of that bill that we didn't pay for, that incurred interest. We just wasted money, giving them more money than we had to. We have never since then, never since then, not completely paid off a credit card bill. We learned from our mistakes. So what does this mean? It's been entrusted to us. If you make a mistake with God's money, learn from it. Don't repeat it. Learn from somebody else who's paid the stupid tax. Learn from them. Second thing it means is we stop and we ask God how he wants us to spend his money. It's been granted to us. Ask him. Uh, this morning, as Andrew and Sarah Bardish were coming in, they each got a dollar from the pastor. Last week we had a dollar question, and they couldn't answer it. And when I gave them the answer, guess what? My answer was wrong. I asked how many books are in the Old Testament, how many are in the New, and I said 40 and 26, 39 and 27. I was wrong. So since I was wrong, I couldn't expect them to have the right answer. So they got, You know who told me to do that? God was the one who said, you know, when I realized that I made the mistake, you know what, you need to give those guys that money, his money. That's what he wanted me to do with that. Yesterday, I spent a little bit of money. Not money. The oil on our car needs changed, so went and bought a filter, bought the oil for that. A little bit later on, happened to be at Cabela's. They happened to sell ammunition, and I happened to think any time around ammunition, and it's available, I should get it. And as I'm walking out of the store with a bag of ammunition yesterday, God's like, hey, what are you preaching about tomorrow? Did you ask me if it was okay if you spent my money on that ammunition? And I'm like, I did not. I have asked him before, but I didn't ask him this time. I just thought, if it's available, I'm getting it. So stop and ask God what he wants to do. Here's a good tip. When you see something that you want, there's this whole, I don't know if it's a syndrome, but it's a reality called impulse buying. You see something, you want something, you go get it. One of the things we've taught our kids to do is if you want something, spend 30 days praying about it, asking God if he wants you to get it. When our kids were young, it was usually a Nerf dart gun. A really cool one that came out, we'd see it, I want it. Let's spend 30 days praying and asking God if it's okay with him if we spend his money on that Nerf dart gun. And a lot of times what would happen is after 30 days, that impulse buy goes away, and you're like, you know, I didn't, even, I didn't even want that anyway. I did want it, but I don't, I don't need it. So spend time asking God. And then also, don't use credit. I mean, I know that buying a house is one thing, but when we're asking God to provide, say, okay, I'm not going to you know, do the impulse buy. I'm not going to put things on the credit card just to, to get those things. Stop and ask God. So God is the owner. He has entrusted his money to you to use as he wants. Now, if you're like me, you would like more money. I would. You know, how can we, remember we said before, it's not for, you know, our own self-pleasure, but for how can I be generous, how can these other things, how can we get more? Well, we, we earn God's money. So money is entrusted to us from him. That's what God does. But it's also earned by us by diligent work. 
by being entrusted. We get money by, by earning, by working. Verse 16 says, the man who had received the five talents, he went at once and put the money to work. He put it to work, and he gained. He earned five more because of that work. We earn money by work, by diligent work. And this word for work, it's ergodzomai, and it means, get this, it means to work. We're to work, to labor, to do business. Listen, God's economy is not a socialism economy where you take from one and people who aren't don't work it. If we want to earn or if we want to receive, it takes work. Proverbs 14, 23 says, All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. Now the picture here, at this point in time that Proverbs were written, the idea is of a guy working in an agrarian culture. He is tending his flocks. He is working with goats. He is working the field, you know, planting the field, uh, tending the field, harvesting the field. The pictures of somebody who is working, and the worker who works hard turns a profit. But the guys who stand against the fence watching the guy work, and they're just talkers. They talk about things all day long. They sit in the city square, and all they do is jibber-jabber and talk, but don't work. They're the ones who end up in poverty because it's, it's not a socialism society here. Now, when it comes to hard work, we've got a lot of hard workers in our church. Uh, when you work hard, you not only earn money, you also earn respect. If you have an employer, even if your employer treats you poorly, if you work hard for that employer and diligently, they will respect you. And when times come for, for furloughs or, or, or cuts, you'll be the last person to go. We want to be people who work and work diligently to the point where our employer can't afford to lose us. That they want us there. That you're that valuable as an employee. You'll earn the money. You'll also earn that respect. Even if you're not appreciated, you'll have earned that from at least your co-workers, and you'll definitely earn that from me. I'll respect you for that. But there's a danger. There's a danger when it comes to hard work. One of those dangers is pride. You can think of yourself, I'm more of a hard worker than everybody else here. You can exalt yourself. Remember how we sang this morning and how we prayed? We want to exalt Jesus Christ. We don't want to exalt ourselves by being proud or smug about that. That's a danger, that pride. The other danger here is greed. Because if I say, I want money, 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 that means I will work, work, work to get that money. And that's an extreme danger of work is this workaholism. There's also an opposite extreme that's just as dangerous, and that's called laziness. 1 Thessalonians talks about that. Paul said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away, to shun, to stay away from every brother, every Christian, who is idle. This word is somebody who is lazy. They're idle. They don't work. And who does not live according to the teachings that you received from us. What was the teachings that they received? Well, the teaching they received was to work hard to earn your keep. Verse 7 says, you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle. We were not lazy when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked. We worked night and day, 
laboring, toiling, so that we would not be a burden to you. There's no freeloaders. We don't sit in God's basement playing video games and eating his chips. We're not freeloaders here. Verse 9, we did this not because we do not have the right to such help. It's fine to receive generosity from other people. But we did this in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow, a model of hard work, diligent work. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man or a person will not work, they shall not eat. Now, there's a difference here. There's a difference between somebody who will not work and someone who cannot work. Someone who will not work, that's idleness, that's lazy. Someone who cannot work, that's possibly because of a disability or something like that, or age, or, or uh, chronic pain. There's a, a difference between will not and cannot. It is biblical to help somebody who is disabled and cannot work. It is not biblical to enable someone who will not work who is lazy. Does that make sense? Verse 11, we hear that some, of, um, some among you are idle. They're lazy. They're not busy, but they're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread that they eat. How do they do that? By work. Diligent work, earning money. Before that, uh, I started a job to earn money in order to buy a ring to ask Stacy to, to marry me. I was a young pastor at that time, not making very much money at all, so I took a second job. I was the, the van driver for a daycare center. So I would get up at four or four, 5 o'clock, leave at 5.30 to get to the YMCA at 6. I would open up the daycare center, get the lights on, everything ready, kids would come in before school, and I would drive the kids in the van to school. I think I was making four bones an hour, and I did that job until I had enough money to buy a ring. Then I quit that job and was out of there. But I diligently worked for that period of time because I wanted to earn that money to ask this bride to be mine. Work hard. Hard work pays off. That's how we earn. One final verse today is from the book of James, James 4.23. Listen, if you want more money from God to use for him, um, but you're, you're not receiving it, this is what James says, hey, you do not have because you do not ask God. Remember, it's his money. You come to him and ask him to entrust you with some. And he says, when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. And what are those wrong motives? that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. God, would you give me more so that I can buy bigger boats, more motorcycles, more ATVs, these things for my pleasures. Now, if it's something you need, it's fine to ask for. So when we ask, we ask with right motives. God, we want to use this money for you to help and be generous towards other people. So if you want more, uh, faithfully, remember the servant in the parable, faithfully used what God has entrusted them. Be faithful with what you have now. If I'm not faithful with what I have now, why should I expect God to give me more? So be faithful with what he has entrusted to you. Work hard, be diligent, and then ask God and ask 
with right motives. I want to help. And here's some right motives. If you've got medical bills or car bills, things piling up, Lord, would you please help? We've got to provide. We've got to pay for these things. Would you please help me with this? I want to be generous and help other people. Would you please provide more? I don't want to be selfish with it, but I want to help other people. Just remember, it all belongs to God. It's his money. He has entrusted it to you. He's granted it. That's the word. He's granted it to you to faithfully use however he wants you to use it. And then work diligently to get more and ask for that. Ask with the right motives. Next week, we're going to look at some uh, biblical specifics on how to faithfully, remember the servants here, faithfully handled it. How can we faithfully and wisely handle the money that God has entrusted to us? And it should be good. Looking forward to that next week. Um, The rest of this week, here's our verse to memorize from John 24 in our disciple pathway. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That's our verse to remember that. And this week, Read Ecclesiastes. It's in the Old Testament. It's after Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes. uh, Chapters 1 through 6. And take note of what is really meaningful and fulfilling in this life. And ask God to make you a diligent worker and earner of his money. That's our pathway. Let's pray together. Father, we want to say thank you. That's the right thing to do. Everything that you've entrusted to us, it's from you. It's yours. And so we we thank you and we trust you. And Father, we ask you, please, give us wisdom. Give us direction how you want us to spend your money. And we're going to see in a couple weeks, Lord, that it's okay to use the resources you've given us to enjoy things. It's okay to have those things. But Lord, we're not looking for get-rich-quick schemes. We know that there's no such thing as a prosperity gospel that's false that's a lie. If we do certain things, you'll give us multiple you know, blessings of money. Lord, the blessing is you. You're our Father. You love us. And, and we, we ask you to give us wisdom. We also ask you, Lord, to provide. Provide for all of our needs. Help us be wise, not incurring debt, Lord, but spending within our means and being a blessing to other people, being generous to other people, just like you've been generous to us. Help us to be faithful like the servant in this parable, Father. Lord, we we admit the earth is yours, everything in it, and that includes us. We are yours too. Scripture says we are not our own. We are bought 